0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Yours truly uh, was not on the job as usual for the past week. I got to confess, I was on vacation in Hawaii. So, uh, I have a few stories I'd I'd like to share as this hour unfolds, and we're going to see what we can do to weave that into uh, our regularly scheduled program today. This is one of those times when we demonstrate that this program really is, at least on occasion, about whatever we damn well please. And it pleases this correspondent a great deal to talk about one of the finest places in the United States, the Hawaiian Islands. I've always felt a certain bond with those islands, perhaps due to the fact that my grandpa was born on the island of Kauai and always spoke with that distinctive accent the islanders have. So that was something I grew up with. And today's show will afford us the opportunity to play some Hawaiian music, something we we seldom get a chance to do on Radio Parallax. And by the way, we'd like to hear from you, dear listener. If any of you can explain why this upbeat, peppy tune is called the Hawaiian War Chant, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We'd be happy to read your explanation on the air. And by the way, this, this might be a good time to mention the fact that uh, a few weeks from now, we'd like to bring one of you on the show. It's a great thing about being a community-based radio station is we can talk to the community So for the next five weeks, we'd encourage you to drop us a line explaining why it is you should be a guest on Radio Parallax. Winner will have his answer read on the air and also make an appearance. We'll also throw in a KDVS t-shirt. Or for listeners in Chico, a KZFR t-shirt. We will pick an appropriate t-shirt. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with, on this date in history. The date in question is September 22nd, making this our first show of the autumn. Right about now, the sun crosses the celestial equator. Every place on earth has equal day and night. And if you're hearing this through a radio, i.e., living in Northern California, you know this is one of our best times of the year, isn't it? But at any rate, our date is September 22nd. And it was on September 22nd in 1692 that seven alleged witches, six women and one man, were hanged in Salem, Massachusetts. And I guess if your choice is being burned at the stake or lynched, you'd take the latter. Speaking of that, it so happens that on September 22nd in 1780 in Virginia, it was followers of Captain William Lynch who signed an executive pact and thus became the first lynch mob. It was on September 22nd in the year 1828 that Shaka, founder of the Zulu Kingdom of Southern Africa, was murdered by his two half-brothers after his mental illness threatened to destroy the Zulu tribe. This date's just full of joy, isn't it? Well, here's a better one. It was on September 22nd in 1862 that U.S. President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which would supposedly free slaves in Confederate-controlled territory as of January 1st, 1863, and lift the tenor of the American Civil War to a somewhat higher plateau. It was on this date in 1945 that U.S. General George S. Patton proved himself to be something of a political novice by publicly questioning the need to rid Germany of Nazis. He compared the controversy over Nazism to a, quote, Democratic and Republican election fight, unquote. Oops. You know, General Patton, last time I checked, the Republicans weren't building up a military to invade countries that never attacked us while starting up concentration camps filled with people of a religion who they don't like, while phoning up elections. Well, actually, wait a minute. Maybe there are a few parallels here. You know, we talked in this program a few times about why it was during the Bush administration. There were some disturbing parallels to some previous regimes. And in fairness to Republicans, I'd like to say the Democrats were uh, reversing all these things. But it doesn't look like it, does it? as they talk about getting out of Afghanistan in 2014. And speaking of that part of the world, it was, it was on September 22nd in 1980 that long-standing border disputes and political turmoil in Iran prompted Iraqi President Saddam Hussein, with a little bit of encouragement from Uncle Sam, to launch an invasion of Iran's oil-producing provinces. The Iraq-Iran War eventually stalemated and dragged on for about eight years but it did establish that the United States had a valiant ally in that part of the world, Saddam Hussein. And finally, it was on this date, September 22nd, in the year 1989, that the great American songwriter Irving Berlin passed away at the ripe old age of 101. Berlin composed 1,500 songs, including God Bless America and Putting on the Ritz. I believe during the 1980s that Taco's version of Putting on the Ritz went to number one, making Irving Berlin the oldest man ever to have a number one hit in America. I think we'll have to uh, go out of this segment with something from Irving. Gotta say, I sure enjoyed Annie Get Your Gun at the Music Circus uh, last month. And yes, that was Irving Berlin all the way. By the way, speaking of public events, and before I forget, on September 23rd, which would be tomorrow at the Sacramento Convention Center, Kaiser Permanente is presenting Perspectives. Now, I don't really know what the hell the Perspectives are going to be on, but it's going to feature Dara Torres, 12-time Olympic medalist, Biz Stone, co-founder of Twitter, and Robert Gates, former defense secretary. If any of you choose to go, dear listener, would you please ask Mr. Gates a few questions if they have a Q&A? Maybe we can start with what he, what he has to say about uh, the deal he helped cut back in 1980 on behalf of the Republicans to have the Ayatollah Khomeini keep the American hostages until Ronald Reagan assumed the presidency. I, I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear what he has to say. Might also want to ask how it was that as a Soviet specialist, he failed to notice that the Soviet Union was collapsing during the 1980s. And heck, while we're at it, go for the trifecta. Ask him why it is. It's just taking so doggone long to get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. We ask your help on this, dear listener, because we won't be at that event. Some of you probably will be. Our quote of the day comes from anthropologist Margaret Mead, who said, always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. Our quote of the day comes from Catamaran Captain Kurt who sat next to me on the airplane flying back from Kauai, we were discussing poi. He noted that it truly was a miraculous food and that one cup of it could feed 10,000 tourists. And I must confess with some sadness that I was unable to convince anyone to join me in eating poi. I like it. I've always liked it. I think it tastes pretty good. It's definitely healthy for you, and I guarantee that even if you can't develop a taste for the gooey substance made of pounded taro root, when you go to Hawaii, eat some of the taro chips. They're better than corn chips. They're better than potato chips. They're better than those other fancy schmancy bags of fried up vegetables. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is a free million-dollar idea. Some one of you needs to start importing taro chips to California. I'm confident they're going to catch on. Now, Mr. McMillan claims that he's seen those sold somewhere in California, but we're going to have to run that down. I, I am skeptical, sir. But doggone it, I hope you're right. Our joke of the day stems from something that happened to me on a previous trip to the Hawaiian Islands. I uh, sat down next to a man and asked, are you going over for a vacation? He said, no, I live there. I said, well then, do me a favor. Answer me this question. Is the correct pronunciation of the islands Hawaii or Hawaii? He said, it's Hawaii. I said, thanks for clearing that up. He said, you're welcome. And as a bonus, I need to throw in uh, some, <laughs> some comedy addenda From my kayak guide, our guide, Adrian, listed the top five questions he's been asked as a kayak guide, which were as follows. And number five was, Adrian, do you live here on the island? And In case you're wondering, he does. It's a tough commute. Number four question asked of him was, Adrian, what do you do for a living? He said it used to be asked that as he was buckling people into their zip lines. Thinking that it was probably appropriate to think of him as a professional when it came to buckling one in before hurtling out over canyons. Number three question, and I like this one very much, was Adrian: Are those waterfalls fresh water or salt water? Now, anybody imagines they pump salt water up to high altitude to let them fall down cliffs? Well, I—I I don't know. That's a puzzle. Now, the number two question he said he was asked was the reigning number one for quite some time, and to be honest. I like it better than his number one choice. So I'm going to reverse them. Number two favorite question. So Adrian, what altitude will we be at today? Said he ventured a guess to probably sea level to one foot. But uh, what was his number one for so long and still my favorite was Adrian. Does the ocean go all the way around the other side of the island? And just for those occasional people who are, let's say, geographically challenged... Radio Parallax hastens to add that, by definition, islands are surrounded by water. So if your island is in the ocean, indeed, the ocean does go all the way around. And if I may digress a moment, it does remind me of a conversation I had not too long ago with listener Dan, who is a pilot, and pointed out that a friend of his one time was visited by an FAA investigator. He was told, you don't have to respond to this, but I do have to ask... The FAA received a complaint some time back about a man who took an altimeter aboard an aircraft flying across the U.S. and complained, noting that, per his readings, the plane never got higher than 8,000 feet above sea level. He pointed out to the FAA he was aware of the fact that Rocky Mountains had many peaks higher than that, and this clearly constituted some dangerous flying. And by the way, if you wish to repeat this man's experiment, you will find that your altimeter, your altimeter will indicate 8,000 feet, because that's the height at which they pressurize airplane cabins. If they didn't pressurize them to 8,000 feet. Flying to 36,000 would cause quite a number of problems. All right, our stat of the day should pour a little cold water on how much fun we're having, but I can't resist it because it's so mind-boggling. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. has wasted up to $60 billion, that's with a B, $60 billion in payments to contractors who aided war efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's according to an independent commission. And that total represents one out of every $4 spent on war zone contractors in the past decade. $60 billion wasted. Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for getting to school on time after NASCAR mechanic Paul Stender reached a top speed of 320 miles an hour in a school bus he built with a jet-powered 42,000-horsepower engine. Standard City will demonstrate the bus at schools to get students interested in engineering. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the future of civilization, after London's Science Museum asked 3,000 adults to name what they couldn't live without. Facebook came in fifth, ahead of showers, <laughs> fresh vegetables, and flushing toilets. Finally, it was an ugly week a couple weeks back for some Arkansas criminals. After a man who was taking aerial photos of his house from a plane spotted two men burglarizing it, said Steve Lynn, I looked down and sure enough there was a truck hooked onto a trailer and guys were loading stuff up. Lynn was at the time flying in the passenger seat of his friend's Cessna. The pilot followed the thieves as they made their getaway while Lynn phoned down to direct police officers. The burglars were arrested two miles from the crime scene. Presumably, Lynn was not cited for using his cell phone on an aircraft. And finally, from the Only in America file, we have this. A 290-pound New York City man is suing White Castle restaurants. He's suing them because he can't fit into the burger chain's seats. Martin Kessman, 64, said restaurant staff assured him two years ago that the booths were going to be enlarged and made comfortable for people with a little more weight. But doggone up, they never followed through on that promise. Said Kessman, I just want to sit down like a normal person. Well, Mr. Kessman, the best way to do that might be to take off 90 pounds, wouldn't you say? And I would guess that one way to help you do that would be to quit eating so many White Castle hamburgers. Anyway, let's go back to the clipping file. Here's one I took out of that excellent publication, USA Today, also known as McPaper picked it up off the seat where someone had left an SFO and glanced down and saw that Michelle Bachman said during the Republican debate that vaccines were dangerous because she knew a mother who claimed that her daughter suffered mental retardation after receiving a vaccine against human papillomavirus. This prompted O. Marion Burton, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, to say there's no evidence that the HPV shot or any other vaccine causes retardation. She added there was no, absolutely no scientific validity to this statement. She furthermore noted that since since the vaccine has been introduced, more than 35 million doses have been administered and it has an excellent safety record. I want to thank Millicent for sending us a follow-up on this story wherein two bioethics professors from the University of Minnesota, offered to pay more than $10,000 for any medical records that could prove the anecdote that Bachman told during the presidential debate. Actually, Stephen Miles of U of M offered $1,000 for such evidence, and that offer was upped by his former boss, Art Kaplan, who's now director of the University of Pennsylvania Center for Bioethics. He says he'll match Miles's challenge and offer an additional 10000 So I guess you can come up with 12000 bucks if you can come up with someone who was rendered mentally retarded because of taking a vaccine. I know, Mr. Miller, there's no evidence that Michelle Bachman's mother (laughs) saw to it that she got the vaccine. It wasn't available then. By the way, as you might expect, there's a little bit more to this story about Rick Perry doing something so sensible as requiring uh, Texas girls to receive the Gardasil vaccine, which is a good idea. It can prevent human papillomavirus, which is believed to be the cause of cervical cancer. Turned out Rick Perry's received more than $30,000 from Merck since 2000, far more than the $5,000 he disclosed during that debate. Merck and its subsidiaries have also donated more than $380,000 to the Republican Governors Association since 2006. When Perry mandated that that vaccination in 2007, his former chief of staff was working as a state lobbyist for Merck. Although I am uncomfortable with the fact that I think on this case, Rick Perry got it right through payola or otherwise. This might be a good time to mention that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. And I'm not adding any wise cracks on this one. By the way, we refer you to our favorite science magazine, New Scientist, September 17th issue, with an editorial comment to stamp out anti-science. The magazine said it's time to reject political movements that turn their backs on science. And yes, they were thinking of the U.S. presidential race. In fact, they quoted some alarming uh, statements made from the candidates vying for the presidential nomination on the Republican side of the fence, such as, on the subject of evolution, Intelligent design is a legitimate scientific theory that should be taught in science class. Or how about they don't believe in a theory that human beings, thinking, loving beings, originated from a fish that sprouted legs and crawled out of the sea, or from monkeys who eventually swung down from the trees. How about on the use of embryonic stem cell research to cure diseases? It should be shut down because it involves the wholesale destruction of human life. How about this one? On climate change, variations are natural, cyclical, environmental trends. And we can't say with assurance that human activities cause weather changes. And that climate problems in Texas, that may be a giveaway who said this one, are best solved through, quote, days of prayer for rain. Noted new scientist, this is alarming from a country which leads the world in science. The home of Benjamin Franklin, Richard Feynman, and James Watson might be turning its back on science. How can this be happening and what can be done? One problem notes the magazine, is treating scientific discussion as if it were a political debate. When some politicians try to sway public opinion, they employ the tricks of the debating chamber, cherry-picking data, ignoring the consensus opinions of experts, adapting use of a sneer or a misplaced comparison, reliance on the power of rhetoric rather than argument. They can often get away with this because the media relied too much on confrontational debate in place of reasoned discussion. It's curious that even a pro-business magazine, like The Economist, refers to the era we are in as the Anthropocene. Or at least it's the potential era we are entering wherein human beings completely change the climate of planet Earth. New scientists noted that frontrunner Rick Perry stood by his position on anthropogenic climate change. He said, the science is not settled on this. The idea that we would put the American economy at jeopardy based on a scientific theory that's not settled yet is, to me, just nonsense. Governor Perry went on to imply that Galileo, whose views went against scientific orthodoxy at the time, would agree. We do have to give something of an attaboy to John Huntsman, the ex-governor of Utah, who's struggling to attract some attention, who warned that becoming the anti-science party could cost Republicans the White House. I don't know. I'm not sure it'll lose him a single red state. We do want to note in regards to Michelle Bachman, and we have no idea whether this is in in regards to her recent statements, but uh, she has lost some of her political operatives, uh, like Ed Rollins, who took over her campaign in June, helped transform it into a big budget operation, said he was stepping down but would continue to advise the campaign, but just was scaling back his involvement because he hasn't got the energy. His deputy, David Poliansky, also stepped down. Bachman's campaign downplayed their departures as a restructuring. All right, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. I think what we should do is go out with a little bit of Irving Berlin. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I can shoot a partridge with a single cartridge. I can get a sparrow with the bow and arrow. I can live on bread and cheese and only on. Yep. Soaking a rat. Any note you can sing, I can sing higher. I can sing any note higher than you No you can. Yes I can. No you can. Yes I can. No you can't. Yes, I can No you can. Yes I can. How do you sing that high? I'm a girl.